Hi friends, welcome back to another episode of the Development by David podcast. And today, we have an author stop by, Ron Thurston. Ron Thurston just loves retail and he's so proud of it. Ron has led retail teams for some of America's most prominent brands. He's inspired thousands of store employees and travelled relentlessly across the states to sit in and listen to what they have to say. And as a result, he's authored the book Retail Pride, a guide to celebrate your accidental career in retail. Although this might seem a very retail-specific episode, these lessons, traits and skills that we speak about in the frameworks that bring it to life are universal. You can apply this episode to multiple careers and multiple facets of life. Anyway, I've loved speaking with Ron today. His time is so valuable. Let me know what you think of this episode. And if you have a friend or a family member in retail, please, please, please share this guide with them uh, or share this podcast with them. But for now, let's talk with Ron. Ron Thurston, welcome to the show, my friend. How are we? I'm so good. Thank you, David. So happy to be I think it's my first experience in Scotland with Retail Pride. It makes me very happy. <laughs> and albeit it's virtual. And you have the wonderful uh, Manhattan skyline behind you. I do, right here, um, right in my kitchen. So it's from the 49th floor. So it's wow. broadcasting live from downtown New York. Wow, that's amazing. So bring to life Ron. Who is Ron Thurston today in 2021? Ah, you know, I, um, you know it's been such a joy to write a book celebrating the retail industry. And while there are many books that kind of speak about how to do, how build great retail businesses, how to engage with the industry, you know, what's happening in our industry, I wanted to write a book that was about celebrating the people who do the work every day in stores and who aren't necessarily the decision makers and, and, but love the work that they do. And so this idea of who I am this year, it's about every day finding the opportunity to recognize the hard work that goes into retail all over the world, whether it's in Scotland or New York City or anywhere else, and say thank you and say, I appreciate what you do. The importance of the industry has is critical to the economy, certainly pre-COVID, but post-COVID, brick and mortar retail is the hottest conversation happening right now about why it's so important. And that's how I spend my days today. And that that gives me great joy. And Ron, prior to reading your book, I didn't understand the magnitude of the retail industry. I didn't realize how how prominent it is. Can you bring that to life? Yeah, and I, you know, I can speak specifically to the to the US um, versus Scotland, but in the US, you know, and the National Retail Federation, which was is the largest organization in the U.S. that supports retail from, there's a big conference every year, but they release a lot of statistics. And so the statistics just released are that, and with an increase in, in their projections for 2021, is that overall um, kind of sales combining both in-store and out-of-store is about $4.4 trillion dollars which is enormous so all all of commerce we'll just call it all of commerce in the u.s this year will do 4.4 trillion dollars u.s and but what's the interesting statistic that doesn't always come to the front is that within that number you know we we hear all the time 
that the death of brick and mortar, not all the time, but we hear it, the death of brick and mortar, we, you know, thousands of stores are closing every year. But of that 4.4, $1.1 trillion is non-store, uh, which is, you know, and about 40% of that is, you know, has something to do with Amazon. But it's still 75% of all commerce done in the US is done in a store. Wow. And 25% of it is non-store. And so you, and that $1.1 trillion is at a higher growth rate than the, than the store component. You like single digit growth in stores, double digit growth in e-commerce, but it's still 75% of it projected to be in store. And so that, and that number alone says, wow, this is an enormous industry with huge impact on the economy. But in that number, it employs one out of every four people in this country. You know, that retail is like the one of the biggest employers, a private sector employer in the United States. It's an enormous industry that's in every city, you know, every small town, every large city right here in New York. You know, it's a an industry that I think is often um, not always recognized of its size and scale, and you know, that thirty to somewhere thirty to forty million people in the U.S. work in retail. Yeah, and when I read your book, I didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't know that retail dates back to ancient Greece, and then we have <laughs> the evolution of Macy's in the eighteen hundreds. Yet you still feel felt the need to create a book that doesn't already exist, celebrating that career path that's been around for hundreds of years. So yep. what does it mean yep. to have retail pride? Uh, it, so I, I've spent nearly, you know, we'll just call it four decades working in this industry. Some of it in fashion design, most of it in some version of fashion, most of it in retail. And it's, you know, I've had the privilege of leading teams you know, through my career. And I use kind of that privilege and honor in a very important way, because it is our privilege as leaders to lead others through their career journey. But often the idea of you know, having pride in your career sometimes comes from more traditional jobs you know, that are like recognized because there's an education component behind it. You know, you study to be an, an attorney, a doctor, you know, an accountant. There are like traditional jobs that would say, that person has worked really hard to have an education that that then equated into a successful career. And retail is not that industry. And retail is welcome and open to all. It doesn't say you have to have had a certain education, a certain background, um, look a certain way, be identify in a certain way. It's open to all. And so this idea of pride sometimes has to be, um, I think, in an authentic and intentional conversation mm -hmm. because the first thing that we do, and I did it myself, which is why I ended up calling my book retail pride is that you would say like, Oh, I just work in retail. What do you do? Oh, I just work in retail. Like there's this inherent, like you're not good enough because you work in retail. And I saw it all over the place. I saw it in people that I hired, that I interviewed, that I led, um, and even in myself. And so to be able to say, actually, no, like this is a really important industry. We do really important work. We impact millions of people. 
in one conversation with someone in a retail store can very much change their day, change you know how they're feeling about things. You met someone new and interesting. There's emotional components, there are financial components, and that it, but we don't talk about it. Yeah. It's like there's pride and you see pictures on LinkedIn and you know that they love it. And and the brands I've led, they really very much enjoyed it, but it's this like secret that they have. And I definitely want to change that conversation. And I remember you wrote in your book, and not to always refer back to the book, I wanted to speak much broader than that, but I remember you wrote something like, I can't wait for the next time someone asks me what I do. Yeah. But how did you get to that point? Um, I think you know, part of it is just doing it for a long time. But I think part of it is um, seeing my peer group, the kind of industry leaders around me, and you, you reach a certain point in your career and you want to have a bigger impact. You want to have a legacy about what your career is. And mine has been very much about in the people I've had the opportunity and the pleasure to promote into roles, to identify new skills that maybe they didn't even know that they had, to give them that next career chance, to take risks on people. I want that to be my legacy. But at the same time, I knew that that was only as good as the people that worked for me. Yeah. I'm like, but retail's so much bigger. It's all, this is all over the world. And is there an opportunity for me to say something um, that could impact people that I've never met? That could like wake up one day and say, wow, like he really gets it. He understands my job. He understands what I do and that my family doesn't always support my career choice or that this was very accidental. And, but I actually love it. And to, to, today now I'd love to say, I'm an author of a book. I'm a, I'm a retail executive and I'm an author of a book that celebrates the millions of people who work in the retail industry, no matter what that role is. Mm. Do you feel like some of the, the frustrations that you feel in retail, did you feel they were unique to you, but only until you wrote the book, you realized some of these themes are unanimous, not only in the States, but worldwide? Mm. Um, I, I, when I was a younger person, I would say, yes, they were unique to me. I, I, I loved it so much and I loved what I did. And I felt like I was always that strange guy among my friends that they would say, I don't know what you, why do you love your job so much? Like, why do you like what you do? And like you, that I was that the odd guy in that situation. And you know, I grew up in most of my life in Southern California. And so my friends were in the entertainment industry. They were, um, you know, developing their own kinds of careers that seemed much more glamorous than mine where I worked in the mall. And so I kind of also had this envy of like, well, you're on the red carpet and you're doing fun things, but here I am decades later and I still love this industry. And I, I've had just the pleasure of bringing people along. So I initially thought I was alone. And then the more people I led and the, the bigger my responsibilities, I was like, this is not unique to me at all. And how can I make this the best experience for people all over the world? And including your title, it says celebrating your accidental career. 
why is a career in retail often deemed as accidental and how do we shift the narrative or shift the needle from accidental to proactive yeah so i think it's accidental kind of to my earlier point around education is that there are really great universities here in new york you have schools like fashion institute of technology and parsons and there are retail programs but it's it's unusual for someone at an early age to say I want to work in retail management. It's a pretty small percentage. I've been lucky enough now to like find some of those people because they've reached out to me. They're like, I love your book. I want to work in retail. Uh, that makes me very happy. But the idea of um, it being accidental was often the first word that came out of someone's mouth when I would sit and interview them. I would say, Great, welcome. It's so nice to meet you. Tell me a little bit about your story. And they would say, Oh, you know what? I just fell into retail. This was a total accident. This was never my plan. I went to school and studied something else. This was something I did part time on the side. There's always this kind of um, unintentional reason why they're in this industry. And I, you know, to this day, I, you know, now there are people who reference, my book or me on on their own podcasts and talk about their accidental careers um, and it's a it's a very funny conversation now that it's kind of become this thing of well yeah it was definitely accidental but now it's intentional and now i want to have fun with it now i want to engage um, and retail is one of those industries that seems often to be just quite unintentional mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if it's the same where you are but here it's tends to be if someone works in retail it tends to be also their first job and Mm -hmm. but how do we how do we make it their last how do we retain and progress Mm -hmm. those people i i actually think so much of it comes down to those early supervisor roles and so when i say like there's such responsibility and honor in being a leader because you are impacting that person's choice in their career going forward. So when I, I've used this story often, but I would say, you know, if half the people that come into retail early on, that this is their first job, and they're probably still living at at maybe home with their families, you know, they're thinking about college or university, and they have this incredible experience with this great manager who teaches them about how to work on a team, how to maybe do some visual merchandising, how to um, sell and, and be of service to others, maybe learn some back of house operations, maybe learn how to run the register. I mean, the list is quite long of what you can learn on a first job working at retail. But, but what was their experience with that leader? Did that leader say, welcome, I'm so happy that you're here. I'm going to teach you everything I know. This may not be long term for you, but I'm going to make this the best experience possible. That young person goes home to their family and their father says, oh, like, hey, Ron, how was work today? And you were like, oh, my God, I learned so much. I have this great boss. Like, that's how you keep people in retail, that leaders impact that choice for those young people early on. And then you're like, well, now I want more. I want your job. I want to do what you're doing. And do you think retail pride is a message to leaders to to adapt, to, 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 to form that relationship? Or is retail pride more pivoted towards 
um, the shop, the shop assistants and the shop floor assistants? I think it's both. I think I wanted to be able to say, we have to stop like hiding in the shadows as, as a accidental career that is not valuable um, in the world. And that message is to part-time stock assistants, part-time sales leaders, multi-store leaders, no matter where you are in your career in this industry, it's about taking pride in what we do and how to show up every day and how to make it the best possible experience for everyone that works around us. And that's, that's a big goal to have, but an important one. So providing that someone reads your book and then they become more cognizant in their own career development and their own pathway, if they don't espouse to having retail be their last career, if they were to move on from retail to another industry, what tools and yeah. what skills do you think would transgress from a career in retail into other industries? Oh, I love this question there, because there's so many and we don't, again, give ourselves credit for it. So you would say, you know, it's on your, on your CV, you would say, oh, like, oh, I just did these jobs part-time. And, and so, and maybe that next role has nothing to do with this industry, but I think we have to have the ability to articulate what we did really well in those, in those retail roles. So I did learn, I learned how to work on a team you know, maybe I played sports and then I worked in retail. I know how to work on a team. I know how to have a difficult conversation. I know how to, uh, maybe it's cash management through the register. Um, I've learned how to sell. You know, and maybe it's learning how to be of service, um, how to do operations, loss prevention, uh, visual merchandising, window design. Maybe you've learned a little bit about product knowledge and or fashion history. I mean, there's there's so much you could do. Don't dismiss it as a part-time temporary job. Like use all of those skills and be able to say, and based on that, here's how why I would be a great candidate for this job. That has nothing to do with retail. Wow. And yeah. equally, a career in retail, because of those skills that you gain is very self-serving, but also retail workers are serving to to the brand because there is, I mean, we spoke about it recently where there's um, an important feedback loop from those on the shop floor to those who are making the decisions. How important is the dynamic feedback from the sh shop floor assistants? Yeah, it's, it's critical because that's how, so let me back up because in, as we think about the retail industry today, there, there's a lot of pressure to say, we can't just have a one channel business. We can't just have an e-commerce business that is highly invested, that is at a relatively low conversion rates. So you think the average, um, the average website, we'll just use fashion as an example. The average website of a fashion brand converts about 1% of the traffic that shows up. So you spend a lot of energy and a lot of money driving people to your website. You know, Ron's, favorite black t-shirts.com. Like, okay, great. Thousands of people are coming to your website. About 1% of them will make a purchase. And you actually have no idea what that other 99% thought said, like, why didn't they make a purchase? And, but in a brick and mortar retail store, that same store that sells this black t-shirt 
they probably convert at like 15 to 20 percent on average but that 15 to 20 percent you have some data about what they buy how often they buy maybe they bought on the website and then they came into a store maybe they saw you on instagram purchased through instagram and then came into store so there's a lot of customer data you could gather but the long answer to your question is the 80% in a store that didn't make a purchase, the people who work in that store know why they didn't make a purchase because they may not survey them specifically, but as a leader, you can say, wow, I see like 20% of, of people made a purchase here. Um, they all bought this particular product. They didn't buy this product. Can you tell me why? And the people who work in that store know exactly why. They'll say they didn't like the fit. They didn't like the color. We were out of stock in this. Um, they were looking for X, Y, and Z. They wanted white t-shirts, not black t-shirts. There's a lot of data that comes through those people who work in the store that didn't, that you don't see on a report and you'll never learn on a website. And I can imagine the, the reason the conversion rate is higher in a brick and mortar store is because if a customer to come in and say, I want bronze black t-shirt in a small but they didn't have yeah. a Ron's black t-shirt in a size small. There's a dynamic customer experience where they can be like, well, we have a gray t-shirt over here. How, how is that? And yeah. they might think, yeah, that's my style. And then they convert through another purchase, but even though it's yeah. not their original purchase, but you don't get, you don't get that experience online at all. Correct. Correct. And at the same time, then that the, the likelihood of the in-store sale being higher, because maybe I saw black, but I would say, hey, do you also wear gray t-shirts and you also wear white? That that salesperson's adding on to the sale. So the statistics show that the average sale in a brick and mortar store is double that of an e-commerce order. And usually two or three more units because there's someone there telling you about it. Like, oh, if you, if you where else are you, how are you spending your summer? Maybe you should add a few more t-shirts just to have as backups before you go on your trip. You know, a website is making recommendations through algorithms, but no one's really talking to you. You're making your decisions on your own. And that's why I keep going back, like the value, someone who's proud of what they do, who works in that black t-shirt shop, I know we're using this example, it's funny, but it's true. You know, that's really proud of the product that they sell and the team that they work on and the leader that they work for, that person's going to sell more. That person's going to add on to the sale. That person's going to probably give some more product knowledge. It's probably going to then create an experience that's so engaging that that person that just made that purchase in store is also going to tell somebody else, probably going to tell his friends. Yeah. Like, wow, well, you look great in your black t-shirt. Oh my God, I got it at this store and the service was so incredible. And these are my favorite t-shirts. I can't wait to go back. That person that you just told is probably going to go to the store. Like that, the, the ability to just impact the growth and the, of every product category is exponential. Do you have any anecdotes or any data on brand loyalty between bricks and mortar and online? Because I can imagine, I, can, I don't think I'd ever grow an affinity with an e-commerce platform. But I would grow an affinity with the staff that work in a certain store because they know my style and they know they know I come in on Monday with a coffee because that's I have a lunch break and that's when I typically buy things I don't need to buy. But 
I, I don't think I would ever form an, an affinity like that with an e-commerce platform ever. Yeah. I think the one that everyone's most familiar with, at least in the US, I'm not sure in Scotland, is with Amazon. And so people are very loyal to Amazon because of a delivery promise. They have a very wide product assortment and they have great delivery. Like that's, you're loyal to them only because I can, my likelihood of getting it and Amazon Prime as members, I'm like, what my ability to get it quickly is pretty high. And so you're, lo you're very loyal. And that's where they win because if you go to five different websites of that same product and order it from five different other companies, the delivery is going to come at all different times, maybe be in stock, maybe not. And so that the loyalty often ends up about a delivery promise. But the, you're right, the emotional loyalty comes through stores. No one's emotionally loyal to an e commerce site or Amazon. You do it because of convenience and maybe maybe price. But if you think about, wow, I really want to spend Saturday afternoon, I want to go to my favorite high street and I want to engage with you know, people who I've met along the way and say hello, maybe see what's new, and maybe just check in. Like that's that's loyalty that's much more powerful. Yeah. And at that moment, those face to face contacts, the shop floor assistants aren't just selling a product they're selling experience they're satisfying the desire to feel important because anytime i walk into a, a well-established retail store i feel important i feel like my needs are being met and it's an experience it's not just a purchase whereas like we, we spoke about amazon or the, the rest of them it's not an experience it's just convenience and i remember um wanting to ask you this because we spoke about it before before we uh, jumped on the call and i said something along the lines of for brick and mortar to remain a success, customer experience must trump customer convenience. And I think you quite, quite enjoyed that. Would you agree with that? I would very much agree with that. And that's a, it's, um, it's a long-term investment in the success of your brand, that that loyalty comes both um, through brick and mortar retail, probably through social media, you know, the growth of, of that shopping channel and through your e-commerce site. Like that all of it is valuable, but they all serve um, and engage in different ways. But kind of that individual kind of one approach to how you engage and, and keep a loyal client um, is evolving really quickly. And this kind of idea of like not needing stores because we can buy everything we need online is, you know, there, there's truth to it in some ways, but that's not how we operate as humans. We want to engage. We want to go in and see that, that store that you referenced, David, like you want to go in and see them, um, and, and support local communities and local economies. And the idea of shopping local and maybe not giving everything to big Amazon companies and saying, I want to invest money in keeping my local stores open and that are employing kind of younger people from my community at the same time. Based on that, what does the next generation of retail employer, employees look like um, to, to share that message? What does the next gen employee look like? Mm. It, so there's a, there's a lot of great technology that's being introduced into 
kind of brick and mortar retail. Some of it is clienteling, but you know, I think in next generation, they're so um, kind of immersed in in technology and social media and this kind of idea of being engaged in multiple platforms are where things like live shopping and live stream shopping, that's where um, when I think about how to take the skills of someone who's very comfortable on camera early in their life, maybe through how they apply for jobs. You know, there's growth in this space of applying for jobs via video. There's growth in this idea of live shopping from brick and mortar that would say, yeah, I live stream on Instagram all day. So now I'm going to do it and I'm going to sell something instead for brands. I mean, there are stores now in the US, I can't speak, I'd love to hear about, about your business, that are building film studios in the back of the store so that when there's not live customers walking through the door, they're live streaming from another part and selling via Instagram or their own website live streaming. Wow. Like that's, that's important. And so you can't just say there's this traditional way you walk in and you fill out a job application and you go through a traditional hiring process and then you learn how to bring on the register that maybe you get to say hello to customers. We're well beyond that at this point. We have to find, and which is why people maybe choose not to work in this industry because it can feel very old fashioned. But the reality is that there's great things that tech companies and brands are doing that feel very modern and very forward thinking and are about multi-channel selling and engaging with people in new ways that maybe don't even have inventory in their stores. Like that's a real thing. That's blowing my mind. That's, that's powerful. <laughs> <laughs> we spoke about um, why we have an affinity to services such as Amazon Prime because it has like dedicated convenience. Such conglomerates also exist in brick and mortar. For example, we have Apple stores, we have Starbucks. And relating it back to the employee, how how different do you think the employee experience is within a brick and mortar store between independent stores and conglomerate stores? I think it, again, kind of it goes back to the leader. I think you can have big conglomerate stores with incredible leaders who um, engage in a way that feels like a local business with their team and that there are local businesses who feel like maybe they don't, they didn't maybe learn great leadership skills along the way and did not create a great place to work. I think all of us, and I put this back on, on not always on the companies, but on the leaders within those companies, it's your responsibility to create an environment for your team where people thrive. And whatever that looks like for that brand in that particular store or that particular group of stores, you have the ability to create a great experience and a great place to work, no matter, no matter the size or scale of, of that organization. And I believe having led you know, hundreds of stores and had store manager, you can have two stores that are on in the same city with the similar traffic one is performing extraordinarily well and one is underperforming and the only difference is the leaders of those stores they even if they sell the same product like there's such power in great store leadership do you think the dichotomy there exists 
between leaders who celebrate their own career in retail and those who don't and the ones who do celebrate and have retail pride do you think they're the greater leaders amongst the two um i would say in 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 theory in relation to what i speak and write about absolutely yes absolutely yes is that you want to be around people who are proud of what they do we crave people who um show up every day with a great attitude and a lot of energy and a drive to win we we love being around those people you see them in sports you see them in 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 other service industries and you certainly can see it in retail and so yes i think people who are inherently proud of what they do who love to lead which is you know certainly not easy every day and not fun every day but who enjoy the challenge of leadership and love what they sell probably and are supported by a company with with benefits and 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 recognition programs that's a winning formula for a retail yeah. store yeah it doesn't even matter what you sell i don't it doesn't even matter the price point like that is a winning formula okay and yeah. what are the other formulas you have or maybe not formulas but frameworks you have are is the i think you call it the three pillars of retail expertise i do um and so i i wanted to put together this kind of structure that would say no matter your role in in this industry and really in i would say in service but in, in the retail industry specifically it is about always being empathetic to set a high level of empathy to people around you and i think that's never been more important than over the last 18 months as well of you know, like how are you like how are you, are you checking in you understand um and listen to what people need so you you lead with empathy and you engage with your customer in an empathetic way and that you're secondarily really curious you know you're curious about the people that work for you about your customer about their feedback you know why did they convert or not convert that comes through curiosity and why why do they need certain things why does your team um need you know this on this day like you're you're curious about what's happening and you're focused on getting the job done and that job could be delivering sales plans it could be um having a diff the focus to have a difficult conversation that needs to be had maybe it's you know, something that results in a termination like you have to be focused to do that well and so i use focus in a very general sense but this idea of i lead with empathy i'm highly curious about what's happening in the industry and my business with my team and i'm focused on getting done what needs to get finished for me those those pillars can get you through a lot of different things a lot of situations a lot of different brands and really in every, in every job in the store yeah. um and in a multi-store role and i i think those three traits are much wider than retail too yeah um I, but what comes to mind is if i if i'm a, an employee within retail what should my key performance indicators be uh, like how do i gauge my own success in retail at a junior level yeah. because it must be so easy just to live day on day opening the store performing the duties closing the store but how do you actually measure success as a retail employee yeah so i think it depends on the 
on the brand a little bit because different brands have infrastructure. So one of them that I think is has been important, but it's becoming more important is this idea of, of net promoter scores through surveys. And so what you want to be able to do then is validate that I'm delivering the level of service that the company expects of me via feedback from my customer. And there's a score associated with that. So, you know, on this, on the idea of, of, of a net promoter score on from one to 10, if, if my feedback as a, as a part-time sales associate, that feedback comes in at nines or tens, that means that that customer is likely to recommend that store, that brand, me to other people. They're a promoter of the brand. If you comes in at like six, seven, eight, you would say, you know, it's, it's fine. Like wasn't bad. It wasn't, it wasn't great. It was sort of forgettable. Um, which is also typically the lowest percentage of people that reply to surveys are six, seven, eight, because you're like, you know, is the survey easy? Can I accomplish it in the next 15 seconds on my phone? And I gave them a seven, it was fine. And you know, that you would say it's, it's good enough. Um, but if it's below a, it's a one to five, that's considered a detractor. Meaning that the feedback um, and the experience that you had, you're likely to tell someone else not to go there. And so when you think about KPIs and you think about other than maybe sales or my ability to add on to the sale, things like UPT, this net promoter score idea, whatever version you use, is really the pillar of validating success or, or not in a business. Because you could have people on your team who consistently get, we'll just say seven, eight, nine, ten, and and consistently get two, three, four, and you have a huge problem with people who consistently get low scores. Learning from that customer experience scale, is it possible to turn a detractor into a promoter? It is, and the statistics show actually that. If you, as a leader, engage with that customer that gave you a four, and you reach out and say, hi, my name's Ron. I'm the general manager of this building um, or this store. I noticed that based on your experience with, we're just going to use your name, David, with David, you know, that you scored us a four. I would love to learn more about what your experience was and how we can fix that for you. If you do that and then you actually solve the problem. Their likelihood of becoming a promoter is very high. Yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine a customer complaint procedure is probably one of the only touch points that an individual might have with the customer. So, yep. but equally, if they had, if they went through a customer experience, uh, sorry, a customer complaint procedure virtually, it, it must be much harder to flip an experience from a detractor to a promoter, but if you're in store, you can say, oh, look, here's a voucher for X, Y, or Z, or um, here's 20% off next time you come. But that touch point is is so integral, but again, online doesn't have that same um, ability to to, to shift the needle from detractor to to promoter. That's so interesting. You're you're exactly right. And generally, because brands, e-commerce brands do use similar surveys, but
but it often, it's not about the website experience. It's usually a delivery promise. The reason you score someone low is because your order was delayed, your order was canceled, um, something happened in the shipping or it arrived damaged, some of those kinds of things. But you're, you're not likely going to give an e-commerce site a 10 because it worked. You expect it to work. You expect that you, you can, can check out quickly, use Apple Pay, it arrives in a reasonable time. That's just the bar today on e-commerce. So I, I want to push back on my next question here, Ron. When you <laughs> visit an online store, you're almost guaranteed, besides delivery, besides delivery, in terms of user interface, you're guaranteed to have or receive a consistent um, experience because you're familiar with the platform, you know how to navigate it. It doesn't change. Besides software updates, it doesn't really change. However, you can visit a, sco- a store day on day and have a very different experience day on day. Is that empowering or is that, is that paralyzing for a retail store? Mm, I, think, I think it's what, if you ask retail leaders, including myself, like what keeps you up at night? What do you, what concerns you most about your business? That's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's inconsistency. It is because you, when you're not in the building, you're never exactly sure what's happening and that we're all human and that your best associate who yesterday delivered 15 different versions of nines or tens um, had something happen at home today and they're, they're not their best. And so that, and that's true of all of us that we are our human experience of what happens at home, what happens in our life, what happens with our partners impacts how we deliver experiences to customers. And so that the, the balance of, to your point, like the website should just work. Um, humans don't function like that. And also sometimes you meet someone in a retail environment and you just click, like you immediately through empathy and curiosity, you discover you have things in common, like, oh my gosh, me too. Like that we, we engage with people who um, we have a human connection to. And those experiences are typically better versus maybe someone that you didn't really click with and you couldn't, um, you couldn't find a way to connect. The service may not be at the level that you wanted it to be. So there's, there are, unlimited variables in this equation and that makes it that is hard in in stores yeah i can imagine if you were to create like an onboarding pack for someone who's just stepping foot into their career in retail i know we could probably touch on this for a long period of time but what fundamental what fundamental um skills not skills what fundamental lessons would you want to teach them before they step foot in in a retail environment um, you know, I'd, I'd say number, number one, learn how to present yourself based on your experiences. Um, maybe even before you work that add value to, to the conversation. So for example, maybe you played on a sports team in high school, use that of like, I, I know how to work on a team. So i played this sport, this was our season, this is how many people worked or 
work together on this team. This is what we accomplished together. I want to bring those team building skills to your store. I want to work on a team. And here's what I would add to the team. Here's be able to articulate your ability to work on a team is a big part of early job access. And then, you know, ask friends, family, you know, where are the best places to work and where are, you know, that are for entry level roles and, and try to work there because your likelihood of having a better experience is based on the reputation of the, of that store and not necessarily that brand. Like I said earlier, the store and the brand don't always perform equally well. Given, and a personal question to you, Ron, given your your profound career, your esteemed career in, in leadership within retail and then researching for the book, what, what's, what's your experience now when you're a customer within retail? Is it paralyzing the fact that you can notice every intricacy in the store? <laughs> Do you think that detracts from your personal experience because you have almost a gold standard at least to aim for every time you go into a store? I mean, paralyzing is a really interesting word because it's exactly what it is. You know, I, but I, I look at it, um, I look at more of it as the opportunities and to be not critical because if, when I have experiences that are incredible, I, which are actually Post-COVID have not been that great, to be honest. There's a lot of infrastructure struggles. And I think the traditional, like the teams who have been working in stores since last summer, and here we are a year later, who didn't have the work from home options and all the things that many of us had, they are really burned out. And they, I think we have to address that as a, as a side note, but when it's really good, I really I want to understand why it's good. And when it's not, I want to understand why. Because that helps me think about kind of next steps or the value that I can add to conversations or, or the opportunities that I see in the industry of how we can make this a better place to work. Like, why, why was it bad? Is it staffing? Is it leadership? Is it product? Um, and what what created that space for that kind of lack of of service? And because if if it's one store, it's probably a hundred. And how can we solve for that? So I'm I am to your point very observant of it, but I but it's more of becoming a student, like a continued student of the industry. If you're still a student, Ron, who are your role models within retail? Mm. You know, there's a, a gentleman named um, Ron Johnson, who when I was running um, Apple stores, um, this I, I joined Apple at the launch of iPhone 2. And there's a little, there's a quick story about it in my book, but this kind of, I, I joined, I had been a, a regional manager, I had run, um, I had like 120 stores under my responsibility and like 10 district managers and multiple states in the US had a huge territory. And I was interested in working for Apple. And Apple said, well, great, you look like you have a great background, but you're gonna need to run one store and prove that you can do that before you can run multiple stores again. And you know, I hadn't been a store manager for a long time. So I was like, let's do it. 
So I joined this kind of very suburban Texan, Texas, um, not even super high volume um, store as the store manager and led that team. You know, they, they just needed a lot. They needed a lot of like Ron. They needed a lot of like, we're going to win. We're going to do this. We're going to do this together. We're like this, this store that had no, no joy in it. And we ended up winning the awards for the highest um, experience, the highest level of those MPS scores that I referenced earlier, highest in the world in service. And like that for me was, we're going to win here. We may not be the most important store. It's not New York City, but we're going to have the best service in the world. And we did. And mm. that um, was what I wanted to do. And so there was a gentleman there um, running Apple retail named Ron Johnson, who has worked with Steve Jobs and early on, like designed what the Apple store is today, um, created it. Ron wanted every single person who was going to be a store manager to meet with him in Cupertino in California. Like he interviewed every single person that worked in Apple. And I found that really empowering to say, the highest level, the person who has the highest responsibility for retail wants to know every single person that works in all of his stores. And he today runs a company called Enjoy, which does in-home um, kind of setup and, and education for technology brands still. So he's still very much about service and experience. And I, you know, he posts on, on LinkedIn and I follow him and he has my book. And you know, people like that that really are dedicated entirely to the industry of service and serving others, um, I find really inspiring. So given the lessons that you've outlaid throughout this entire podcast and then the role models and the anecdotes that you've brought to life there, in a snapshot or in an elevator pitch, can you discuss the kind of the key roles of your career, where where all these lessons have got you? Because we have touched on how you, you're now an author, but we want to know the juicy uh, roles before that run? Um, like kind of specifically the what they were? The, the, the titles, yeah. yeah. And, and the titles? Organizations, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I'll, I'll go through it quickly. Um, as, as I, so I studied fashion design and, um, but prior, even during my education as becoming a fashion designer, I worked in retail. It was always like I learned how to sell. I learned how to sell men's suits. I learned how to actually worked at the Gap early on. Like I worked at a at a card store. Like I always had my hands in this business somehow. And being a fashion designer seemed, um, you know, like the um, what would I say? Maybe the more glamorous version of this or the the career that you think that you wanted to have. But I always gravitated back toward retail. And so I joined Macy's in a, in a management training program. Like, oh, I don't want to be a buyer. Do I want to work in store leadership? What do I, what do I really want to do? And so that program helped me discover that I love being on the sales floor. I love leading teams. And so Macy's turned into Gap, um, Gap Kids specifically. Um, and I, I came as, as an assistant manager, became store manager, general manager um, of the highest volume store in Southern California, 
um, became a district manager, became a regional manager, worked through corporate um, visual merchandising and oversaw all of the country visual merchandising. So this idea of, of growing your career with great brands is really important to me because it can happen and does happen every day. And then went on to join, um, I started West Elm, which I don't think has made its way to Scotland yet, but this kind of fashion, the home furniture business owned by Williams-Sonoma Inc. Um, helped start that with former people from Gap. Um, like I said, went to Apple, um, went and then joined several years later, joined Tori Birch um, early in her um, kind of foundational years as she was op starting to open retail stores. I opened all the stores on the West Coast um, for her and then moved here to New York and um, helped launch Bonobos, which is a men's um, brand in a really unique um, retail business model built kind of what that, what that is today. Um, and there are about a 60 store chain in the US right now with a lot of wholesale accounts um, and left um, that to join Yves Saint Laurent, Saint Laurent um, out of Paris and ran all of the retail for North and South America. And then most recently um, Intermix, which is the largest multi-store women's um, business in the country. Uh, and, wow. and at the same time wrote my book. Uh, so. Wow, Ron, that's incredible. And that story, that journey brings to life all the principles and all the lessons and all the frameworks we've spoken about for the last um, hour or so. So, but no, hearing your story now and knowing what you know now, would you alter the journey that you've been on? Mm. You know, I, I, I wouldn't. If I could go back and say, yeah, I should have stayed here a little bit longer or done this. I actually love the fact that I've sold men's suits and baby clothes and computers and furniture and, you know, luxury handbags. I love that because it's unusual. You know, my people look at my, my CV and they're like, I don't really understand your background. I'm like I'm a, I'm a lover of retail and I'm a lover of people and leadership. And, and what I sold was secondary to the culture and the companies that I wanted to work for and, and why they were important at that particular time. I didn't really care what they sold. I just knew I wanted to work there so, and lead that team. So has that always been the guiding principle for you? The culture and the brand is not the product. It is. And that's hard to wrap your head around for younger people because you want to sell what you love. And, and, and I, I remember it very clearly, even joining like Baby Gap and Gap Kids at the time, because I don't have children. And they, to be honest, it was, I found it really annoying to be in a store full of kids that would constantly like push over mannequins and destroy the store that I worked really hard to make look great. But I'm like, but you know why I love it here? Because selling baby clothes is also a really high level of service that people need because most 70% of it was gifts. Oh. And so usually when you're buying baby, luxury baby clothes are usually sold for gifts. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna, everyone that comes in, I'm gonna be able to sell them a really important gift for someone special in their life and I'm gonna give them an exceptional experience doing it. So it actually had nothing to do with baby clothes. It had everything to do with becoming knowledgeable about what I was selling and then deliver a level of service 
that was exceptional. Would you classify that as also being entrepreneurial? And and that role, people are coming in, they don't know what they want yet. They just know they want to give someone something nice for their baby, but they don't know what they want. So you had to give them what they wanted without them even knowing it. Would you say that was almost entrepreneurial? I do think it's entrepreneurial. And I think that that's a word that almost we shy away from in retail because we're so corporate. We're so, you know, this is the brand and this is how you operate. These are the words you use. Um, this is our selling ceremony um, that, that every brand has their own formula. And I actually, you know, sometimes to my own detriment, kind of encourage everyone to have an entrepreneurial spirit and say, you know your customer, you know what they need. You, I want you to deliver the results however you need to do to get there. And, and maybe in a non-traditional way. And sometimes that's taking the smart risks. Sometimes that's um, hiring a non-traditional candidate that the company wouldn't necessarily sign off on, but you know they're exactly what your customer needs at that time. So I love this idea of corporate retail that's driven through entrepreneurial spirit and drive. It's, it's how we're going to win. We, you can't sit back and just say, this is the way it's always done, been done. So this is the way we're going to do it. In 2022 and beyond, that is not going to work. It's not going to work in this industry. And I guess probably the reason I haven't, um, the reason I haven't considered career in retail is because of that corporate structure. And I, I never realized you could have entrepreneurial spirit within retail, but hearing you as a leader, empowering that trust is, is, is amazing to hear, Ron. Amazing to hear. Yeah. So, I mean, think about, you know, I know we're out of time, but the idea of you know, big core, I've worked for major companies who have big conferences and who provide great awards and big celebrations to all of their top performing managers. And, you know, whether it's in sales, whether it's in service, you know, I was a recipient of some of those awards, but the, I can almost guarantee that those people had a level of entrepreneurial spirit that other managers don't. That's how you deliver those kinds of results is by saying, you know, what, I, I love that training, but I know what my customer needs. I, I need more of this product. Um, they're the most vocal about like what they have in their store, what their people need, what their community needs, and they go and deliver it. And that is very entrepreneurial. I love it, Ron. I love it. Very powerful. What's next for retail? Uh, all of this that we've been talking about in an even bigger way, because the, that human connection to brands is the future. And whatever that looks like for your brand, whether that's <clears throat> technology-based, whether that is about um, that really intimate relationship that's built in stores, it's education, it's learning about history, it's learning about product, it's all of that that happens that, that can't be done on a website is retail. And there's all different versions of it and all different price points of it. And we may not need more stores, but we certainly need more human connection and better service because it leads to better business. And there's no greater time to excel in that than post-pandemic when people are, that's their desire, that's their one desire. That's exactly right. 
exactly right. And that I just see as opportunity. I'm like the, we today have the opportunity to be better than we've ever been before because actually people are actually asking for it. You know, it's different than saying it was a nice to do. People, that's why they've come back because they want everything we've just been talking about. Yeah. And I also think behaviorally because of the pandemic and at times retail wasn't even open nothing was open there was a, a great white space for behavioral change because for years and years now the pandemic or covid is a, a signifier or a point in time there's pre-covid and post-covid and now pre-covid everyone expected this certain method of um experience all brands cohesively kind of had a similar shade to each other, but now behaviorally because of the pandemic and no one had anything, it's, it's a moment in time for brands to disrupt and do something complete left wing or left field. Uh, and I think, yeah, I, I'm excited yeah. for retail. I'm sure you're even more excited. Yeah. I'm I'm really excited for it. And I'm excited you know, that, it, it, that the conversation around retail pride and about this industry as a career is that we're having it. Um, because I, I felt like in my decades, no one ever told me that it was okay. No one, I had to do the work and, and then you have the title and then it's like, oh, that's great. But that's, a, that, that's not a high percentage of people you know, that kind of have those big titles. And when I was just starting out, I would love if someone to said, this is a great career choice. Here's what you need to do to, to, to continue that path forward. Of the, brands you choose and how you lead your career. Um, I wish someone had done that for me. So to be able to give that back um, now feels really good. Yeah, because of your book now, I'm so glad to hear that other people have that now. So yeah. Ron, what's next for you? Uh, a, another book for sure. Um, and in some kind of surveying people and all feedbacks always welcome about you know, the you love this, but you want more of this. Um, I have some ideas, but there's there's a lot more to do. Like we said in the beginning, the industry, the size of the industry requires really loud voices to break through. Um, so more books and and more speaking and and we'll see what's next. Ron, where can the people find Retail Pride? Where can people find you online? Thank you. Uh, so uh, my website's retailpride.com. There are links on there for purchasing on Amazon. They're, they're linked to the US. So I know you have a very international audience. Um, so it could be Barnes and Noble or Target, or um, there's a variety of places that sell retail pride, but you can go to retailpride.com. It also then has other events, um, podcasts like this one, speaking events, a blog that I write. There's a lot of data on there. Um, and on Instagram at Retail Pride. Amazing, Ron. I'll make sure to link it all in the show notes and promote it as much as I can. Thanks for coming along. Thank you. It's been the most insightful conversation I've had in a while. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, David. It was a pleasure. And hello to everyone in Scotland. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. Thanks for sticking around for another episode of the Development by David podcast and how fascinating was this chat with Ron into the world of retail. I hope it's inspired you because it really inspired me and if it does, please, please, please do me a huge favour and share this episode with your friends and family. Thanks again for tuning in.